thankfully, we are thankful that his is the power and the glory and the kingdom forever. That's our hope, brethren. If you would, please turn in your copy of God's word, Romans chapter 3. Romans 3, we're going to be looking today just briefly at Romans 3, verses 1 through 4. Romans 3, verses 1 through 4. So having turned there, would you please stand for the hearing in faith uh, and the reading of God's word. Romans 3, verses 1 through 4. Hear the word of the Lord. What advantage then has the Jew? Or what is the prophet of circumcision? Much in every way. Chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. For what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. As far as the reading of God's word, may he bless it to our growth and grace. You may be seated, brethren. Well, in this passage today, the Apostle Paul is, you know, he, he is having, he's engaging now in, in what is commonly called diatribe. It's a form of, uh, form of argumentation where basically you pose a question and then you answer it, question, answer, and so on. And he is uh, having this dialogue, as you were, with um, uh, his interlocutor, the, the questioner, the, the cynic, um, in this case, the, the Jews who are challenging him specifically with regard to his gospel that he's preaching and the implications. You remember at the end of chapter 2, um, the apostle Paul had written that um, circumcision um, fundamentally is, uh, it is about, uh, verse 28 and 29, he is not a Jew in, in, the, in the sense of uh, eternally, the one elect and chosen. He is not a Jew who is one outwardly only. Nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. Rather, he is a Jew who is one inwardly. Circumcision is that of the heart and the spirit and not in the letter whose praise is not from men but from God. And so these Jews uh, to whom, with whom he's engaging, this undoubtedly raises questions in their mind. You know, the, the questions, you know, what advantage, he's going to say, is there being a Jew in the old sense of the term? What, what value is there in circumcision and the way we've always understood it is just this mark in the flesh that, you know, says uh, we, are, we are the people of God. What's the value of any of that? What's the point? And, then, and Paul begins with this dialogue and, and, and this engagement with them to begin to answer legitimate questions that he knows that they're asking. Some have even suggested that this may be Paul in some ways uh, having a, a dialogue within himself in a sense between Paul the Pharisee and Paul the Christian. Um, Paul and the very questions he knew as a Pharisee that he himself would have been asking about this gospel that he now proclaims. So it's kind of him playing both sides. Uh, Paul the Christian, the apostle, answering Paul the Pharisee. But it's very instructive for us what, what, what he's doing here and how this goes forward. Um, and as, we, as we go forward into this, I remind you, uh, I've encouraged all of you to make sure you read Pilgrim's Progress periodically. But one of the things that is always so striking, I've, I love about Pilgrim's Progress, that I think really illustrates this point that Paul is making here today, is you recall when Christian, before he was called that, when he's in the city of destruction, you know, the thing that got him so that made him so worried and concerned 
you know, and his, and his family turned against him and they were, thought he was nuts. The thing that got him so concerned was that he had this book, this scroll that he kept reading from. And he believed it, right? It, it was that he had it, he had these words, and he believed them, and that awakened him to the peril of his condition, that he was in the city of destruction. And, and he cried out, you know, woe is me, what shall I do? And the Lord sends evangelists, the Lord of the hill sends evangelists with a, a word of the Lord and says, you know, go to the yonder wicked gate, go this way, flee from the wrath to come. But the reason why Christian was in his miserable estate, why he was seeking salvation, the reason why he was receptive when evangelists came and said, go this way, you know, is because Christian, he knew two things. He had in his hand, he had the oracles of God. He had the word of God, the truth, and he believed that it was true and that the God who wrote it was true. Those were, un, those were fundamental assumptions that were driving him toward faith, toward seeking salvation, toward engaging in going on the way and the truth and the life that would lead to the celestial city. And what you're going to see today, brethren, is that Paul is saying this is exactly the point, that you and I who are in the visible covenant, who are in the covenant with the Lord, no matter what your age, that there are great advantages for us, the you know, circumcision or baptism, being called a Christian, it's like being called, don't de facto save you. They don't directly change your status. But you, there is a real covenant relationship, and there's a great advantage, namely that you and I, unlike those who were lost, we have the very words of God. And that when they are received in truth, and our belief and our starting point is let God be true, though every man a liar, we have light. And we have the way, and we know where to go, and it will hold and keep us to the end to glory, which is the whole point of being a Christian and the whole point of baptism. The point of God's covenant is to bring us to himself and to bring us into his presence eternally and shape us like Christ. So with those thoughts in mind, let's just look at a couple things here from this text. I'm just going to divide this and real quickly into orthodoxy, right doctrine, and orthopraxy, right practice just because it's easy that way. Let's just consider the doctrine that Paul lays out very quickly here. Number one, he tells us very clearly that the, the chief advantage and profit of membership in God's covenant people, his visible church, we would say, confessionally, is having the Holy Scriptures constantly present to fuel our faith in God. Right? Constantly present to fuel our faith in God. Covenant membership, covenant signs, when combined with having, hearing, heeding the, what Paul calls here the oracles of God, the very words that God spoke out, right, through the Spirit, having, hearing, heeding the oracles, the words of the Scriptures, the Holy Scriptures, by faith, that covenant membership and covenant signs are actually, in that context, a great blessing, much in every way. That's strong language, brethren. You notice what he says. You know, we might intuitively think, what advantage then if, if circumcision is just a matter of the heart? If it's fundamentally circumcision of the heart that counts in terms of your eternal destiny. And if it's not being a Jew outwardly, but being one inwardly, right? A, a true Jew, 
uh, the faith of Abraham. If that's the issue, then the external signs, we might incline to think, he says, what is the purpose of the signs? What advantage? And we would expect Paul to say there, nothing, nothing at all. But what does he say? Much <laughs> in every way. Not in the sense that they are absolutely saving, but because they point the way. And when received and believed in truth, the word of God itself is fuel and light and direction for our faith. And it, it is that which when believed and received and heeded, actually it is the word of God that keeps us. Keeps us and preserves us on the narrow way of truth unto glory. And what an advantage that is. Brethren, I mean, just like with the Gentiles, you know, in our day, it's hard for us to comprehend because, you know, we can go to our Christian bookstore, get on Amazon, and we have Bibles. You know, we may have multiple, five, ten copies in different translations. But brethren, there's still places all over the world, third world countries, where they are begging to get a copy of the scriptures, begging for the light of the word of truth. And yet we hear we who are called by the name of Christ in the church of Jesus, we have here the written oracles, the very words of God. What, a, what a, an incredible blessing, right? What, what an incredible aid to our faith. And remember the, the, the theme of this whole epistle is that the just will live by faith. The Apostle Paul started this epistle. The central theme of the gospel in both the Old and the New Testaments is this. The just will live by faith, Romans 1.17. And that is the same thing as what Paul calls in Romans 1.5. And at the end of the epistle in 16.26, it refers to that as the obedience of faith. Right? The just will live by faith is the obedience of faith. Not of works, but of faith. The faith that believes and therefore seeks to obey because it believes. He also referred to this same thing back in chapter 2, remember in verses 7 and 10, as the justice of faith and the obedience of faith he referred to as patient continuance and doing and working what is good, seeking for glory, honor, and immortality and peace. That's chapter 2, verse 7 and 10. It's the same thing. He also referred to it at the end of chapter 2 in verses 25 to 27 as keeping and fulfilling the righteous requirements of the law by faith. By a working faith, right? And then later on in the epistle, in chapter 4 and 9 and 10, he's going to refer to this as the righteousness of faith. But do you see it? No matter what you call it, it is the just will live by faith. And the primary and most effectual means of sustaining and increasing faith in God and fruitfulness in this life Remember Jesus' words in John 15, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you will, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. You see it. If you're abiding in me in the Spirit, and consequently my words, my oracles are abiding in you, here's what's going to happen. You're going to pray according to the Word. You're going to ask for things according to the Word in faith, and it will be done for you, and you'll bear much fruit, and God's going to get glory. The Word's going to bear its fruit in your life. So the, the words of God, uh, you know, they are a light rising in the, the, the uh, morning light rising in the noonday, like First Peter, Second uh, Peter chapter 1 says, which we would do well to take heed to. The very oracles of God that he breathed out, the, the prophetic word of the Holy Scriptures. Remember Second Timothy 3, Paul says that from early days you've had the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise unto salvation, right? And the word of God he says, is sufficient 
Uh, it, it's breathed out of God and it's sufficient for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness that the man of God, the woman of God, the people of God may be fully equipped for every good work. You may know the truth and it will set you free. So brethren, this is what he means by the oracles of God. Turn ahead to chapter 9, if you would, Romans 9. He actually, in some ways, Romans 3, 1 through 8 is almost like a table of contents for chapters 9 through 11. It's, it's a very brief summary form of what he's going to really expand on in chapters 9 through 11. But notice in chapter 9, verses 4 and 5, 3 through 5, he actually expands and explains what he means by oracles. Let me read what he says in chapter 9, 3 through 5. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen according to the flesh. Now here it is. Who, who are we talking about? Who are Israelites? They, they are Jews after the flesh, right? To whom pertain the adoption, the glory, God in their midst, the Shekinah glory, the tabernacle, the covenants, the giving of the law of Torah, the service of God and the promises, of whom are the fathers, from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed God. Do you see it? This is all part of the oracles of God. The covenants, the glory, the testimonies. We, read, we talked last week in Psalm 19 about the statutes of the Lord, the, the law of God, the testimonies of the Lord, right? They're clean, they're pure, they're righteous. Brethren, that's what he's talking about. All of these things were given to the Jews and entrusted to them. The oracles of God were entrusted to them. And they were to be received in faith and then responded to in faith. God's oracles and scriptures also, we need to remember, are spiritual and they are living. So that when they, they're received in faith, they impart life. You remember Jesus in John 6, 63 said, It's the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. So brethren, when we have the words of God, the very words of God in them, as we look at them, we see the truth. We see the light, and they also point us to Christ. Remember Jesus says in John, I think, 539, he says, You search the scriptures because you believe that in them you have eternal life. And these are they which speak of, they testify about me. Right? The scriptures testify of me. Right? Jesus, Revelation 19, says he is the spirit of prophecy. He is the point. So we see the face of the Lord the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ and the word of God, and we are being transformed from glory to glory. So brethren, as we read the scriptures, as we hear the scriptures, we are to be always saying, how does this point, how does the written word point to the incarnate word? Because he is the fullness of the of glory of God. And he is the one who works in me to help me obey. Right? It is Jesus who gives me the grace in me, working in me to willing to do what is pleasing to God. How does this point to Christ in me, the hope of glory? So there's your first point. There's the first point is that the oracles of God were entrusted to the visible church and what a blessing it is. I might add that this also has some significant impact in thinking in terms of the church of Jesus being the ones who are the agents of God in preserving his word. That's another matter we can get into some other time, but this is important, is that the church of Jesus Christ, not publishing houses, are the ones entrusted to preserve and transmit the word of God. Secondly, the second principle, after telling us that there's great blessing 
fuel for our faith in God from the Holy Scriptures, great blessing in being in the visible church of Jesus Christ with its signs and its covenant seals. Secondly, Paul says, is that unbelief in the Holy Scriptures by God's covenant people does not nullify the covenant faithfulness of God. It doesn't thwart his saving purposes. That's what verse 3 and 4 says. Verse 3 and 4, he says very clearly there, he's asked, what if some didn't believe then? Okay, Paul, you've said that You know, some of these Jews, some of these circumcised, that there's great blessing in having the oracles of God if they believe it and they follow it in faith and they hold fast and cling to the Lord. Well, okay, Paul, well, what if some of them don't believe? What about God's faithfulness then if they don't have faith? What about God's trustworthiness if they don't have trust, if they don't trust him and follow him? Is God still trustworthy, Paul? Well, to put it this way, will their unbelief make the faithfulness, which is the proper sense of that, will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? And Paul's response there is certainly not. One way I've seen that rendered, I think a good equivalent reading of that is something like, not on your life. <laughs> uh, inconceivable. <laughs> right? Not possible. Why? Here's the answer. Let God be true. Understand that God himself is true. He is true to his covenants. He is truth. And because God himself is true, even when his people prove faithless, weak in faith, unbelieving, stumbling and struggling in sin, God remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. We read that in 2 Timothy 2.13. Remember that? On the one hand, there is the warning, and we'll see that next week in verses 5 through 8. If we deny him, we blaspheme the Holy Spirit, we cast him away, he will deny us. But brethren, the focus here today is on that latter part. If we are faithless, you struggle with faith. You want, you say, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. I've sinned again and again, but Lord, help me. Help me be what you call me to be and save me from my sin and its misery. Save your church, save the world. The answer Paul gives is, God is true, and because God is true, we have a sure hope that not only you will be saved, and for those of us with children, that he will be faithful to save and, and, and do his good work in our children and in this church. But brethren, I remind you like First John 2 says, it says, he, Jesus is propitiation for our sins and not ours only, but also for the world. Jesus, we're told in John 3, 17, he did not come that the world would be condemned, but that the world through him would be saved. Not every single person, this isn't universalism, but that people, a vast and numerous multitude from every tribe, tongue, nation around the throne of grace, the salvation of the world and of the nations, it will come to pass because God is true. That's what he's saying. He will fulfill his covenant. Remember Genesis 15, when God made the covenant with Abraham. You remember what God did? He tells Abraham, come, get, get the birds. Cut those birds and c- cut, them, cut them up, set them out. And normally you would cut a covenant and both parties would walk through, right? But you remember what happens? <laughs> the Lord puts Abraham into deep sleep. And while he is sleeping, terror and great darkness falls on him, Genesis 15 says. But it says, then the Lord, in the form of a, a, a burning fire, a, a, a smoking oven, the Lord goes through. And he unilaterally says, I will be faithful. 
the working out of the promises to Abraham that in you all the nations will be blessed. I will, I will make your, your seed like the stars in the heaven and the, and the sand on the seashore, and I will bless you. And we're told that Abraham looked forward to Jesus, John chapter 8, and he was glad. And your seed, all of that's going to come to pass through Jesus Christ, and it's going to come to pass, God says, because I myself will do it even on my own. If you are faithless, Abraham, or your seed after you, I'm going to make sure that it happens because I am faithful. Brethren, that's the essence of this. He is always true to keep his covenant promises. Faithfulness of God then is what moves him to fulfill the requirements of his covenant. That's what moved him to send Jesus to die. Jesus died because God is true, because he deals with the sin problem. He deals with the cold, stony hearts of his people, and he turns them by atoning for their sin and then sending Jesus to live in them to give them a new heart by the Spirit so that we become faithful. We become people of faith, but it's God doing it beginning to end. And brethren, this then is why he quotes Psalm 51. And I just want to focus in conclusion here. Because look at what he says. He, he gives a quote here. Let God be true, though every man a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. That's a quote from Psalm 51, verse 4. Now, the reason this matters is this actually makes it really clear what Paul is talking about here. You may want to turn real quickly to Psalm 51. We read it earlier as our Old Testament reading. But when you look at this verse in context, it actually makes things come so clear. Why does Paul quote this here? Let me give you a quick rundown of Psalm 51. Psalm 51 was written by David after he had, um, he had re- been rebuked by Nathan, you remember, um, in 2 uh, Samuel 12, for his sin with Bathsheba and, and against Uriah and his uh, unrepentance and his uh, suppressing it under God's hand. Uh, it's about, Psalm 51 is about true confession. It's about internal, not just external cleansing. It's about the real value of the externals in God's sight compared to the internals. It, it, to put it another way, Psalm 51 really shows us what Paul writes about in, second, in, in Romans 2, that a Jew is one inwardly. Circumcision is of the heart. Even when we sinned, David starts in Psalm 51 by pleading for cleansing, for forgiveness, verses 1 and 2. He goes on and he confesses his sin honestly toward God first. So he understands that his sin is fundamentally first and foremost about God's sin against God and then against man. So he, he, he and then that's why he, this verse here in verse 4, he says, that's why he says, God, you are justified when you speak. You are righteous when you judge. I know I'm guilty. I know I have sinned against you and done this evil in your sight so that you are right when you judge. God is true. I was the liar. (laughs) You see what he's saying? I was the liar. I did not represent God. I didn't have faith in God. David, he says he was conceived in iniquity. He he acknowledged that. Verse 7 through 12, David, uh, he he says God wanted David to possess truth, he says, in the inward parts. Verse 6, he has to be cleaned and restored by the Holy Spirit. Verse 7 to 12. And then he says, after this, I will teach transgressors and sinners. Verse 13, when I am renewed, when I come into the light, the result will be I will go forth and proclaim your praises and teach transgressors and sinners your ways. And then verse 14 and 15, God will be rightly praised when men are truly forgiven from the heart. 
Verse 16 and 17, God wants what pleases God is sacrifices in the heart, not fundamentally on the altar. A broken spirit, a contrite heart, these you will not despise. That's what pleases God. And then he says, as verse 18, when this has happened, when I've been forgiven and the Lord has restored me and, and renewed me, I will go and, we will, and that's when his city will be built, verse 18. And after that, he will be pleased with external sacrifices again. The point is, do you see it? All of this coming about at the end comes about when there's honest and open confession of sin and repentance. When God is true, even though I have been a liar or man is a liar. So brethren, God's being true despite the sinfulness and the lives of covenant members does not mean just simply that God wins every argument. He does that. It means that despite our sinfulness and our ability to get everything wrong, Again and again and again. It means that God himself who is true, he will still save his people personally and corporately and he will still win the world. Because he's true. That's how Psalm 51 ends. Pure worship in the world. Internally and externally, right? The result of God's being true to David, despite David being untrue to God, is that transgressors are taught, sinners are converted. The covenant goes forward. <laughs> Hallelujah. Brethren, remember that honest confession of sin, it doesn't get in God's way. We tend to be, it's like, oh, I don't want my sin to be exposed. I don't want people to know what I've done or think ill about me. Brethren, that actually is hindering you and it's hindering the covenant. The people of God, the church of Jesus Christ goes forward when we walk in the light when the blood of Jesus is cleansing our sins, when we're open and honest, God wants us to be open, admit our sin, admit our iniquity, call it what it is, be cleansed, be healed day by day, walk in the light as he is in the light, and we will be blessed. So here's the, here's the concluding matter then. Two points of orthopraxy and we're done, and I'll be very quick with these. Number one, from verse one and two, brethren, since you and I, since you and I as Christians you and I who have received baptism and are members of the covenant, no matter how old you are, remember this, you have the oracles of God. Odds are you have multiple copies of the oracles of God, both in print and on your phone or on your computer, right? Brethren, I want to exhort you. It is amazing how we can have the very words of God. Jesus says, man lives not by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And yet, it is amazing to me, for myself and us, how having so many copies of the scriptures, we so neglect them. Brethren, I'm going to ask you today, what would it be for us to, you know, take a little less, maybe a little less time on the computer, a little less time on, in front of a video or whatever it is, we're going to say, Lord, today... Um, me, myself, or me and my family, we're going to sit down and whether it's reading or maybe putting on an audio Bible and just listening, we're going to take in and we're going to receive the words, the very oracles of God, and we're going to hear them in faith and say, Holy Spirit that inspired these words, every jot, every tittle, as Jesus says, Holy Spirit that inspired this book, would you be present to press its truth, its statutes, its laws, its blessings, its covenant, its promises. Give us faith to believe, Lord. Me, my children, give us faith to believe, for the just will live by faith. And this, brethren, is fuel for your faith.
right? The scriptures combined with the Holy Spirit will stoke and fuel and inflame your faith to blessing and glory and fruitfulness in the service of the Lord. There's number one. Number two, second and last principle, as I said, let God be true even if every man's a liar. And be true to God then in faith. Remember, brethren, God, the eternal I am, he is truth. He is the source, the ground definer of all truth, not man. So this means that in all of our thinking and all of our reasoning, we start with the presupposition, God is true. Right? I don't, uh, I don't have to know and reason in order to believe, as uh, I think it was Anselm once said, I, I, I believe in order to know. That's the way it is with you, brethren. Reject by faith a cynical mindset that says you and I have a right in any way to judge the words of Scripture, to put God in the dock, as it will, to sit over him as an authority. Brethren, his word is our light. He is the authority, not us judging him. Don't be ashamed of Jesus' words. Remember, Jesus says, whoever is ashamed of me and are my words of him, will I be ashamed on the last day? But if we confess him before men, Jesus says in Matthew 10, I will confess him and who confesses me and my words, I'll confess him before my Father in heaven. That's a pretty strong incentive, don't you think? I'm not going to be ashamed of the word of God. Not a jot of it, not a tittle of it. Old or New Testament, (laughs) even those hard things. God is true. God is righteous. Whatever he says there, it is righteous and it is good. And we need to have that as our fundamental starting presupposition in all of our thinking. And then secondly, brethren, rejoice in the fact that God is true to his covenant. He's true to himself, to his glory, and therefore he is true to his people. Because I guarantee you this week, you are going to sin again. (laughs) You will stumble. You will fall. Go to Psalm 51. Remember the words of David, especially verse 4. You know, and quote yourself back what Paul says there. He says, you know, as he says there, that the Lord himself, that he himself will keep faith to you. God will be justified. He will overcome. He will be true. There's your hope, brethren. Brethren, Jesus Christ himself is not only the centerpiece of the words of truth, but he is himself the word who makes you true. Jesus is the living word who makes you and I true because God is true to us. So, brethren, keep your eyes on Jesus. As you read the word, keep your eyes on Christ. Say, Lord Jesus, help me to walk in faith. Increase my faith. Can I tell you something, brethren? He'll do that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Oh, God, I pray that you will help us. Lord, help us to not neglect the oracles of God. Father, we admit, I admit, we, we, are, we live in a world in which there is just so much, it's so ubiquitous, the, the competing voices all around us and media and, and, and from every direction competing, Father, with, with other words, with the words of men, other things that would detract us from hearing, heeding your words in the oracles of God and the Holy Scriptures. Father, give us grace that we will not be people who neglect the words of God. For your words are life. They are spirit. They impart wisdom, and they shape and mold us. They stoke and fuel faith in us, Father. And it is by faith that we overcome the world. It is by faith that we run the race, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Father, thank you that you are true. 
Father, make us people who love and cherish and hold fast to him who is true and the way and the life, knowing that you have promised that you will hold fast to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.